Tandem Nomads, episode 23. If you don't take your own needs seriously to have a conversation about them, it's really difficult for other people, your partner, your partner's company to take your needs seriously as well. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, where inspiring expat partners from around the world share with you how they turn the challenges of relocation into great opportunities. So are you following your partner abroad for his or her career? Then Tandem Nomads is the place for you. Go to tandemnomads.com and sign up for the newsletter. Hello, Nomad Nation. This is Amel Deregui and very happy to introduce you to our guest today, Evelyn Simpson. Evelyn, are you ready for the ride? I definitely am, Amel. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. Me too. <laughs> Evelyn is Scottish and was an expat for 26 years or maybe more, living in the US, Hong Kong, Zurich, Shanghai, and Brussels. Her early expat years were driven by her love for adventure and her career as an investment banker. By the time she had her first daughter, she was ready to put banking aside and try something new. With all these multiple moves and a young family to take care of, she struggled to find the right thing for her. So she volunteered, studied, and even became a yoga teacher. But as much as she enjoyed those things, none of them was really what she really wanted to do. And eventually, Evelyn realized that she consistently enjoyed helping other expats in their transition uh, to expat life. So she trained as a coach in 2010 and started her own coaching practice. In 2013, she joined forces with another coach, Louise Wiles, and set up the company Thriving abroad. So Evelyn, I just summarized very briefly uh, who you are and your life. Is there anything I missed? Um, you pretty much captured most of it. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting ride for 26 years and I'm now actually back in Edinburgh, which is where I last lived when I went to university. Um, so that was quite a long time ago. We won't talk about how long. <laughs> um, and yeah, settling back into, I guess, ex-expat life here in Edinburgh. So yeah, that's that's where we are today, and I have two um, now teenage children who are at school here, um, having never lived in Scotland um, or Australia, which is their other passport country, in their lives before. So it's been a bit of an adjustment for us all. Very interesting. I'd love to hear more about it a bit later. But first, I would like to know how did the journey start. Um, my journey actually started when I when I started working um, after university, um, and I went to work for an American bank, um, and I one of the things that they did for all of their graduate trainees was send them on a tra- to New York for a training program. So. Off I went with my two suitcases, having grown up, by the way, in a place so small that if you blink, you'll miss it as you drive through. <laughs> um, so somehow found my way to New York within the course of about five years after leaving there um, with my, my two suitcases going, oh, my God, everything's so big. Um, yeah, and after my training program, I ended up staying there. Um, and to be honest, I probably would have 
stayed there forever if I hadn't met my Australian husband in business school. And he was moving to Hong Kong after he finished business school. We both did a, an executive MBA program um, done in conjunction with our, our respective jobs. And he was moving to Hong Kong and we had decided that we were going to spend the rest of our lives together. And so I spent about 15 months working out how I could move with my company to Hong Kong as well, um, which I successfully did and then managed to change jobs, not companies, but change jobs within the company within about a year of getting there because of the Asian financial crisis. So, yeah, that's how I ended up on the on the expat path and have been there ever since until about a year and a half ago. I realize, you know, you're like a lot of expat partners I meet with and interview. And it's it's quite amazing how highly educated most expat partners are. And you, after once you manage to get a job with your employer in Hong Kong, I guess sooner or later you had to quit your job to continue the journey in other cities and countries in the world. Uh, how was it for you? <laughs> Yeah, actually, um, one one of the questions, I may be skipping ahead a little bit, one of the questions I noticed you were going to ask me later <laughs> on is, what's the biggest change that I had to manage in my life abroad? Yeah. And um, that was probably when I simultaneously moved from Hong Kong to Switzerland, stopped working um, and had a young baby. Um, <laughs> that was, I guess maybe identity crisis would be the right word to use for it. Um, that was a huge change. But yeah, I um, when we moved from Hong Kong to Switzerland, um, I... I was, we had a, a very young baby. I mean, she was only nine months old. Um, and I had decided that investment banking really wasn't for me. Um, I had had a conversation with my boss that said, where I said, well, is it possible to, to work part time? Um, and he said, well, yeah, you could work from home one day a week if you like. <laughs> That's part not part-time. <laughs> he said, you know, he said, you can come into the office four days and work from home on the fifth. Okay, no, that's not going to work for me. Um, so, yeah, I decided that it was going to be too difficult since I knew we were most likely going to be moving again. And I resigned from my job um, without a huge amount of planning, I have to say, but more about that later. Mm. So how how was it once you realized okay I guess once you, you it was quite clear that you had to give up your job to be able to take care of your child and so what happened when suddenly you realized okay actually now I have to build a new life for myself Yeah you know I it, it took me it took me a little while to get to that point um we lived in Switzerland and to be honest with you during that time I had um we had another child, a son, um, and I was pretty much fully engaged in looking after two small children. And, you know, I was learning German and I was doing a bit of volunteering at my daughter's school and also um, for the American Women's Club in Zurich. So 
I kept myself busy um, and didn't really feel like I had the capacity to do a whole lot more at that point in time. And it was really when we moved to Shanghai and both kids were in school and I had some household help and a lot more free time on my hands mm-hmm. where I realized that actually I would quite like to do more than this. And so I started I started studying actually just before we went to Shanghai I had started studying and doing some um psychology courses um through the Open University in the UK and I also after a while decided that I would train as a yoga teacher so I did that as well but it was all a bit of a windy twisty journey towards becoming a coach as I eventually did and starting my own business interesting what did you what did you mean when you mentioned previously I've been through an identity crisis you know just i think any one of those three things um stop stopping working if you've been a career motivated person um having a young baby or moving country any one of those things can be quite difficult and to experience all three at once <laughs> was really quite challenging and you know i had i was an investment banker investment banking um is pretty much a around the clock job um investment bankers are famous for working through the night to work on deals so that's the kind of life that i was leading i was traveling a lot um i was working in asia i was working on bankruptcy restructurings where i would travel to say the philippines for a couple of days and five weeks later i'd come home again because that's the nature of the work mm-hmm. so i was very consumed in my career um and then i stopped <laughs> and it made me understand how much my identity was caught up in my career mm-hmm. um and that really defined who i was and i guess it defined my self-worth at the time as well so giving that up was difficult and then you throw on a layer of cultural change and the ex- the exhaustion of being a new mother <laughs> it was not the easiest of times i can imagine it passed in a blur i think of tiredness mostly <laughs> i can imagine now you did great and and today you settled your business is thriving abroad and it's a new adventure i guess you had to go through this journey to be where you are today yeah exactly i i look back on it um i would say without regret um are there things i would do differently yes there probably are you know you learn lessons from the things you do um but i absolutely don't regret anything i've done and it's it's made me a different person today but it's also um you know i've had a lot of fun getting here too so <laughs> yeah no regrets you know when we talk about expat partners one of the main topics that comes when it's about challenges is the identity you know search that we've been mentioning but also the financial independence and this is why i often ask to our guests in tandem nomads what are your revenue streams so could you tell us what are your revenue streams yeah i mean uh, um, 
It's it, financial dependence is a very complicated question, and it's one that Louise and I focus on quite um, quite heavily in our courses, um, because you know financially. For a number of years, I have been completely dependent on my partner's career, um, and obviously with thriving abroad, while you know our revenue comes from coaching and training programs, we're a little company, <laughs> um, and we're still building. So, um, you know, if someone said. Um, support yourself tomorrow, I definitely would not be doing it from the, the income of thriving abroad completely. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's difficult. Financial dependence is something that I stepped into and I think many expat partners step into without really thinking about it. But it's a huge issue. Um, I am very um very fortunate in that my husband and I don't argue about money um and we have a very democratic even though I am not generating um the the family income um we have a very democratic um view of money within our family but I know that that's not the case for everyone um and you know for for people who have being used to being financially independent, which I was completely um, when I worked as an investment banker, it's a big, big step to take. Um, and also, people people become financially dependent, thinking that they're po- probably going to live overseas for three years or five years or whatever, um, and they don't always think about the longer term implications of financial dependence because they don't think that that's going to be them. Um, but the longer you're out of your career and not generating an income, the harder it is to get back into it the more ground you lose in terms of your career and your ability to to generate an inc- a sustainable income um and also you know the further behind do you get on things like saving for a pension um so we we very much encourage people to have those conversations um learn from our mistakes and have those conversations um up front with their partners and talk about how they're going to handle money as well mm. um because i think a lot of couples end up in really difficult conversations and building up a lot of resentment um, because they don't talk about how they're going to handle money and who can spend what without asking the other and how they're going to pay for things that they want or things that they're going to do. So it's a very, very complicated and very, very, um, I guess... Um, or potentially a very destructive um, issue if it is not handled correctly. So how did you how did you support each other and how do you talk about this? How how did you make it healthy somehow? Because you say that you find that you do have the balance and you talk about this money, you have agreement. How did it come on the table and how did you make it healthy? Yeah, I mean it's you know it, it's not always smooth sailing, but I think. It, 
first of all, um, we definitely respect what each other does, regardless of whether it generates money or not. Um, And we both understand that we have roles to play and that we're playing those. Um, You know, there's no, oh my God, what have you been doing all day? Which I know is often a question that uh, expat partners get get frustrated with um, because they know they've been working really hard all day, um, even though they don't have an income. Um, And I think, I, I mean... You know, for me, it's been really important to be involved in financial decisions that we make. So our financial decisions on large issues are um, are are joint. Um, we don't go off and do things that are substantial financial commitments without each other's um, explicit agreement and without a conversation. So that's been important. I, for the most part, manage our finances, partly because I was a banker before, so it just seemed to <laughs> kind of work out that way. <laughs> um, but partly because it keeps, you know, it, it, it ensures, it, for us, it's helped to ensure a more kind of democratic um, view of our financial picture. Um, yeah, and I, I guess my husband is probably helped in all of this in that I don't like shopping. <laughs> so I'm not the person who is off buying, you know, spending loads and loads of money shopping because I just don't like doing it. That's convenient. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It might have been a completely different conversation if I... And, uh, you know, Scottish people also have a reputation for being... Um, a bit shy about spending their money and I guess I fit with that stereotype too. <laughs> so it might have been different if if we didn't have that balance. But yeah, it, it's it's not an easy conversation. But I definitely encourage all expats and partners to have the conversation up front and think about how they're going to handle money if one is if the if the partner is going to become financially dependent yeah definitely very important and how about besides the financial side when you move to hong kong zurich shanghai and the u.s and brussels how did you support each other yeah i mean we're I think my husband and I lived lived apart for 15 months after we decided we were going to get married. We actually, he moved to Hong Kong and then I followed about 15 months later. Um, and I think during that time, we established a routine of communication. So we talk, regardless of where we are in the world, we talk pretty much every day. Mm. Um, and so that that was important for us just from a you know my husband's always had a job where he's been traveling a lot and when you have little kids it's really easy to just get wrapped up in that and you're tired and you know the last thing you want to do at the end of the day is talk on the phone but I think because we had established that routine and habit it was easy for us to do um The other thing that we have always done is our decisions, we've always made joint decisions. Um, so even though for most of our for most of our moves it's not been 
my career, um, I've never felt that I had to go anywhere. I always felt like I could say no if I wanted to. Um, And I think we only ever ended up saying no to one assignment, um, which just wouldn't have worked for us at the the stage we were at in life and the place that we were going to go. Um, But what we did do is we always said that wherever we moved, once we made the decision, we had to give it a go for a year. Mm. Um, And at the end of the year, we would review. And if it really wasn't working for one of us, either one of us or both of us, then we would take steps to remedy it. Um, And of course, in that first year, you go through your ups and downs and it's culturally difficult and you're making new friends and you're building a new life and some of it's great and some of it's horrible. Um, But we always found that by the end of a year, we were were quite happy to stay and continue with the experience. So we never actually had to use that. (laughs) But it also, it also... Once you've made a joint decision and you've committed to it mentally for a year, um, it, it means that you approach the you approach the difficulties a little differently because you know that in that year you can't say I want to go home. Um, now, if someone had been sick, or you know, if there were a health issue, or elderly. Um, parents that our parents are all in relatively good health but if there had been an issue at home where um one or other of us felt the need to be there we would have of course broken that rule but just for our our own uh, commitment to the place and to our lives there it was uh, a really it turned out to be a really good thing that's great i love the fact that you have this agreement also of an exit strategy like you say okay let's just go through the challenges for one year adapt and and do our best to make the best out of it and if in one year neither of like if one of us is not okay with it then we consider going back and the fact that we know that there is an exit strategy might be more helpful to just actually yeah do the best while we're there and see where it takes yeah well and you know once you've made one move you kind of know that intellectually you understand that the first few months are going to be difficult so you're maybe a bit more tolerant of challenges in that period of time but you know that if it's a a more permanent i don't like this you have the ability to Mm. get out of jail (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah you you you've been in a lot of different cultures actually mainly asian european plus american it's it must be a lot of differences with the scottish culture did you ever experience any major culture shock or uh, culture misunderstanding you know, actually, the the most difficult move for me was the first move I ever made to the U.S. Um, and I think it was largely because I made this uh, heroic assumption that we all speak the same language. Therefore, it must be not that different. <laughs> 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 Dead wrong. Absolutely, completely wrong. And so I think... You know, with with other places, I expected cultural difference. I expected language difference. Um, and, but with the U.S., I, 
it, because it took me surpri- by surprise and maybe because it was my first move as well, I found it really quite difficult. Um, and it took me a while to assimilate myself into that culture. I also wasn't in an expat environment then, so I really did have to assimilate into into the, the culture. Do you have an um, example of a particular moment where you felt like not at the right place? <laughs> I think with the US it was just lots of little things but you know things like um, you know it, in, in New York in particular it's kind of almost a way of saying goodbye to say let's have lunch um, <laughs> and most people don't actually mean it <laughs> but if you said that in the UK you know you probably have a pretty good intention of actually contacting the person um, to to have lunch with them and so it took me it took me quite a while to get used to the idea that actually this is probably a person I'm never going to see again and to kind of sort out the real let's have lunch from the this is just a way of me saying goodbye. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> exactly. I think Winston Churchill, it was Winston Churchill who said that the US and the UK were two countries separated by a common language. Yes. So I guess I learned that lesson. Oh, I know exactly that expression and I use it all the time. <laughs> I love that expression, yeah. Yeah, so interesting. You've been mentioning mentioning uh, previously about going back to home and I guess some people also experience a bit of a culture shock when they come back home and you've mentioned for your kids who never lived in their own countries because they come from Scotland and Australia so how um how is it going right now um yeah good actually um and I had I had expectations because everyone, as you said, says that going home is the hardest move. Um, so I I was prepared for a really difficult integration, um, and actually it hasn't been as bad as I expected. So maybe it's an expectations thing, but. Also, I think partly for me, it's been 26 years since I since I lived in Scotland. Um, and so I've kept, obviously, family ties remain strong, but and I've kept in touch with a few friends over the years. But because I've been gone for so long, I didn't really expect that I would just slot into old friendship groups um, and... You know, last time I lived in Edinburgh, I was a student. So, you know, now I've got two teenage kids. I'm living in a different part of town. It's life is just a bit different than it was when I was a student. <laughs> so I, um, yeah, I, I think because of all that, it hasn't been as difficult as I thought. And for our kids, we put them into a school that is... Um, it, it, we intentionally chose a school for them where a it, it 
teaches the same curriculum as the one they've had in their previous schools. Mm-hmm. And B, it's a boarding school. They don't board, um, but it's a boarding school that draws students from all over the world. Um, so they are not weirdos because they've lived in, you know, five or six different countries. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for, for um, you know, my husband is Australian he's never lived in the UK before but he's he's enjoying it as well and um yeah we so he's still an expat there (laughs) he is technically and I guess my children kind of are as well (laughs) interesting I love the fact that you mentioned briefly the choices you made for your kids in terms of schooling I know that last uh, the episode 18 I believe uh, we had um, Rebecca Grappa who's an expert in education and, and she did you know, recommend how important it is to make sure that we put our kids in schools that respect the same curriculum, but it, how also, um, you know, TCKs are usually, you know, find better their space when there were kids who travel a lot too, even when they come back home. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, it's an interesting and probably clever decision you made to put them in a boarding school, although they're not boarding with other expat kids and they're not weirdos anymore. And that was a funny, <laughs> I, I like the, the fact that you said that because I know that a lot of kids that I've met that have been talking about TCKs recently, um, you know, were expressing how challenging it was for them to suddenly come back home where the kids have never traveled and and maybe sometimes uh, judge kids who did because they just don't understand that background. Yeah. Well, and you know, for my, for my children, they're, they're British, they have British passports, but um, you know, they, they've grown up without a lot of the cultural references that a normal British child who'd grown up in the UK would have. Um, And so I, I, yeah, I think, it, it would it, to have put them in a school where there weren't other kids who had traveled would have made it quite difficult for them from that perspective to fit in because their cultural references are so different yeah definitely yeah so you've been um, traveling a lot living in a lot of countries and we've talked a lot about some of the challenges that you've been facing with and how successfully you've also managed to to overcome them what according to you, is the biggest benefit you've taken from living this life? Um, gosh, it's, I mean, it's hard to put my finger on just one thing. Um, you know, I, for me, I am a curious person by nature. I'm a bit of a polymath. I like doing everything. Um, so just, I I love all of the different experiences that I've had, which, you know, many of which I would not have had the opportunity, even if I had traveled from here on holidays, you know, you don't see the same things. You don't do the same things. You don't experience places in the same way if you travel to them, um, as you do when you live there. So, um, yeah, I think for me, that's that's probably the biggest thing um and also i'm just not sure i would have i I would have um had the confidence or the drive to start my own business um if i had 
not had the experience and the the resilience that living abroad creates. That's a huge point, definitely. Um, so yeah, but having said that, I'm not sure, and I, I get, I'm guessing Louise would probably agree with me. I, I don't think we necessarily we we would have found it necessary to start our own business <laughs> um, had we not had the experience we had either. So <laughs> before we say goodbye and go through the spinning round, I would like to know what would be your biggest advice to our listeners to make uh, the best of their experience abroad. I I think for for me. Um, it's making it, it. It's trying to be as intentional about your experience as you can be. So, trying to understand what it is that you want to get out of the experience, what it's going to do for your life, your career, your kids, whatever. Um, but really thinking about that ahead of time and doing your research so that you understand what you're getting into. Um, not that it's not possible, it's just it, it takes more focus and intentional effort. Um, and, you know, in terms of fulfillment, and I think it's particularly true for for expat partners, um, you know, don't allow your own needs to be buried in the process. Um, you know, speak up for yourself because... Um, you know, if you don't take your own need, if you don't take your own needs seriously to have a conversation about them, it's really difficult for other people, your partner, your partner's company to take your needs seriously as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and I think the, the, the last thing I would say in terms of all of that is, um, you know, don't just think about this move. Um, if you're thinking about moving abroad for three years, don't just think about that move. Think and talk about what comes next. The long term, basically. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because for a lot of people, one move leads to another move. And, you know, while you intend to, particularly if you're an expat partner, if you intend to, say, take some time out of the workplace, um, at the end of three years or five years, if you haven't talked about it, then you're in a position where you don't have a source of income, you don't have a career. So the next move becomes almost a self-fulfilling thing because it's kind of like, well, of course your career has to take precedence because it's the only one in our family. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I I, I think it's really important and particularly as expat packages decline, which they have done for a number of years, um, a lot of couples can't afford to have just one career over an extended period of time. So it's really, really important to have those conversations, both for your income and your fulfillment and your long-term financial well-being. I like the fact that you insisted on, you know, not bearing our own needs. And I know that a lot of expat partners, especially females and mothers, we naturally think like our happiness is the happiness of our family. And I think that yeah. sooner or later, in order for our families to be happy, we have to be happy too. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's nothing worse than a stressed mom or an happy mom who tries to do her best to 
to to raise her kids with her husband but um i think it's very important and this is the whole purpose of tandem nomads is to empower expat partners yeah. and to make sure that they do think of their own happiness in order to 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 also make their own family happy yeah and i i mean i think it's a wonderful thing that you're doing it's such a great community um you're uh, you're doing a great job oh thank you so much evelyn i really appreciate that <laughs> um so before we say goodbye let's go through the spinning round are you ready for the spinning round <laughs> go ahead spin around great so what are your plans for the next two years um, for the next two years, we're staying put in Edinburgh um, as a family, and I have kids who are going to be doing important exams over the next couple of years, so that's going to be big for us. Business-wise, um, we are really focusing on building our, our business with companies and trying to um, get more and more of them to support their ex to provide the support that we offer to their expat assignees and their partners. Okay, wonderful plans. And uh, do you have an internet resource like Skype that you find particularly useful for nomads? You know, I, I compare. I can when I first moved overseas, the internet was not really even a thing, yeah. <laughs> which I know that places me in age, um, but. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for everyone who's thinking about moving abroad at the moment is is Google. There is so much information out there and there is so much to listen to, to read, to learn about places and things you can do. It's, uh, yeah, Definitely. <laughs> I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, but Google. You're not the first one to say it, you know that. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it is a good answer. Um, so which book would you recommend to Tandem Nomads? Well, I have to, it, it's a book that's not published yet. Oh, <laughs> Louise, Louise and I are writing a book, um, which is um, going to be called Thriving Abroad, Create an Expat Life and Career You Love. Um, and I hope that everyone will read it because it's, it's intended to help um, expat couples um, who are thinking about a move overseas or who are already living overseas just create that more intentional life overseas yeah definitely so you should come back to us when when your book is out there <laughs> oh we definitely will um we'll definitely do that very good is there any other book that's now published maybe not um, yours but <laughs> that you would recommend to nomad nation you know, I one of one of the books that has had the biggest impact on me is Ruth Van Recken's Third Culture Kids, mm. um, and I think if you're moving abroad with a family, it's an absolute must. Um, and the the other book that I think's been really helpful for me as an expat partner has been A Portable Identity, which is actually a workbook, oh, um, but it's good at gets people thinking about some of the things that we've been talking about today. Okay, so Nomad Nation, I will put all these recommendations on the show note page of this episode. And Evelyn, um, before we say goodbye, is how can Nomad Nation reach you? Um, 
we can be found at www.thrivingabroad.com. We also have a Thriving Abroad Facebook page and we are, surprise, surprise, at Thriving Abroad on Twitter. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. And Louise and I, along with a lady named Judy Ricketson from Families and Global Transition, um, moderate a group called Expat Partner Online Coffee. Um, So, that's a, a closed group, which um, we love to have expat partners join. Mm-hmm. But yeah, thriving, thriving Abroad is where you'll find us across the internet. Okay. So your website, just as a rem- reminder, is thrivingabroad.com, right? That's absolutely correct. Very good. Thank you so much, Evelyn. You've been sharing so many great stuff here and a beautiful story and experience. Thank you so much for coming on, the, on our Tandem Nomads. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Nomad Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could leave me your review and your comment. You can do it through iTunes or on the website of Tandem Nomads below the show note page of this episode. Thank you.